0: You're listening to the Hidden
1: Battles podcast, brought to you by HiddenBattlesFoundation.org and our sponsor, John Dot Credit Union, DCU Central Federal Credit Union, and Roads Remodeling out of Nashville, New Hampshire. Welcome to the Battlecast. Hey everybody, thanks for joining the uh, Hidden Battles podcast. Uh, this is Scott. Uh, Chris is not here. Chris is stuck at a detail, and we're going to have Aaron on, but Aaron got stuck at work. It's a, the law enforcement life, right? So, listen, I have a I have a good friend here. I have. Should I just call you Sean W? Or can I use your real name? You can use my real name. That's fine. Oh, nice. All right. All right, so we got uh, Sean Welch. He's a canine officer at uh, in a municipality in New Hampshire. He's also an Army vet. Sean, give us an intro. Hi. <laughs> Nailed you... it. <laughs> Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Start start with the military, yeah. and then tell us how the, the transition into law enforcement happened.
2: Well, actually, um, most of it was simultaneously. Um, so April of 2000, uh, I took my oath of enlistment to the Army. And uh, it was actually the Army Reserves and intel, of all places. 2003, I went over to Iraq uh, for the ground war and came home in 2004 and picked up a job as a police officer. I did a total of 13 years in the Army, got out in, what, August of 2013. And I've been in law enforcement since November of 2004.
1: What did you do in the the Army? What was your job? Well, where'd you start? Because nobody ever, well, at least, anybody that's put in more than eight years, I found, never sticks to one MLS. They, they always bounce someone. Yeah, so I was the same two. way. Yeah. What'd you start with, and what'd you end up with?
2: So I started as a 98 Juliet. The cool name for that is the Non-Communications Interceptor Analyst.
1: That does sound fancy. That does sound fancy, yeah. So it's really good on a resume. I was going to say, somebody stayed up really late. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. All right, so in layman's terms, what is that?
2: <clears throat> I hunted the enemy by surface to air missile radar sites, and... uh I would figure out where they're at based on their signature, uh, radio frequency signature with the uh, the radar. And that would get passed along to the Air Force and right up to a couple bombers, and the bombers would wipe them out.
1: Dealing with, with that terrain, it wasn't like back in 91, the in the Gulf War, where they had SCUDs and they had more advanced um, technology. But did you find that it was the same, or was it—I mean, because you're thinking it's 20 years later. You think that maybe yeah. they would step up the game a little, but— was it more advanced though where that you you're dealing with basically the same technology?
2: Uh they were still using Cold War era stuff. That makes sense, right? They uh yeah, I mean before we actually went over the berm up into Iraq, there we used to watch Scud missiles fly overhead.
1: Really? Yeah. Wow. So it's funny because I'm I'm like the generation before you as far as military goes. And um when we had the Scud, you know, we were the Scud warnings. And then I'm, I'm trying not to swear. I had to really. Am, I'm trying to clean this up a little because our, our sponsors. I'm not sure. If, they've never given me any negative feedback, but but now they have, uh, what's it called? they are uh, sidewind, not sidewinders. Um, tow missiles that they buy black market. They have all that good stuff now.
2: Well, I mean, they're they're getting better, but they're still.
1: Yeah, still far behind. They, I mean, they're,
2: they're they're living in a in a world where George Michael is brand new on the radio. So.
1: Oh, so they're living in here in <coughs> New Hampshire. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Yep. Gotcha. All right. So then from. The really long alphabet soup name you just had to what did you do after that?
2: So after four years with the Army Reserve, I converted over to the New Hampshire Army National Guard. I became a 15 Tango, which um, that is a Blackhawk mechanic. Um, I did a year turning wrenches as a Blackhawk mechanic. Well, actually not even a year. Um, and then got offered a flight spot and uh, moved into that and became a, uh, a medevac crew chief. Oh, that's pretty cool. It's all right.
1: It's funny that you didn't stay in aviation; like you didn't get a job working at like med flight or anything like that. Well,
2: med flight doesn't have a place for me. Um, those those helicopters are very small, okay. and it's usually two pilots and a, a flight nurse or, or a okay. flight paramedic. Shows you what I know. Now you know,
1: <laughs> and no one's half the battle. <laughs> uh, all right. So then, then you become a police officer. Um, you started off in one town, then you recruited to another town, yeah, um, and then now you're. You're like, uh, social media wise, you have like the ultimate fan magnet now. So you're now a canine officer. Yeah. And how did that transition from a regular police officer to the canine, uh, program? I mean, is that something you always wanted to do? Like when you were like, Hey, I'm going to become a police officer. I really want to do it, but I need to have a four legged fur missile with me.
2: So I didn't always wanted to do it. Um, only since I was six years old.
1: Oh, okay. Well, yeah, there's, there's... a third of your life. You didn't, right?
2: Well, I mean, I'm, I'm not good at math. I'll be I'll be 40 next year, so. <laughs> okay. But I wear it well.
1: Yeah, you do. Know, I I literally had you at 19. So. I appreciate that. Um, all right, so you have Pharaoh now, right? I do. Canine Pharaoh. Yeah. Yep. Is he your first?
2: Yeah, he is. Okay. Um And, uh, I mean, <laughs> when I when I got Canine Pharaoh, um, I knew right off the bat that we were a good match. I mean, his birthday is Veterans Day, so. Oh. Yeah, that is a good. Name. Yeah, he'll be yeah. he'll be two this Veterans Day. Mm-hmm. Um, he's uh, he's Hungarian born. Um, Pharaohs F E R O, and uh, in Hungarian it means fierce. Oh, nice. Yeah,
1: I like how a lot of um, like because I I got friends that are canine officers. Other than you, shocking though. I know no, you don't believe it, but I don't. True story. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, they always keep the names. Like I know that a lot of them have um the Belgians and, you know, when they keep, like, the Belgian names and stuff. And and then you look and it's always, like, a different spelling, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I think it's cool that you did that. Um, So um, transitioning. From transitioning, and, I like, you did the same thing I did. I got out of the military and I went into the police department thinking I was going to find that military structure still and that camaraderie and stuff like that. Uh, Did that work for you?
2: Um, Yes and no. Um, A lot of that camaraderie and stuff seems to kind of ebb and flow mm-hmm. um realistically like like most combat veterans um you can't go to combat and come back and work as a receptionist or something like that like yep. you have to have some excitement um so I found the excitement in, in law enforcement I mean I've I've always considered myself as a as a servant um you know I mean but like I said I wanted to be a police officer since I was six years old I wanted to be a cannon cop and uh realistically I, I went in the military to get myself prepared for law enforcement i didn't oh nice I, on, I honestly didn't go in there for the college money or you know for the uh the fame and glory of of being a soldier or <laughs> um i went there to get myself some discipline and uh give myself a little bit of direction yeah. and you know maybe find a cool job here and there yeah i mean keep in mind i, I went in, in 2000 yeah a uh, year and a half later is when 9-11
1: happened, yeah. 9/11 happened.
2: Yeah. um you know my brother was in the army and. uh he didn't. He didn't deploy to anywhere. Yeah. I mean, like he got stationed like Korea and stuff, but he didn't deploy. Yeah. And so I was like, you know, my my brother did fine. I'll do fine. Yeah. You know, and a year and a half later, I was like, uh oh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's 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 time to play the game, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, um, I was uncomfortable with it at first, but I was like, this is what we've been training for.
1: Yeah. You know. Well, but, you think about it too. Is like the Operation Enduring Freedom and the Iraqi Freedom guys. After 9-11, if you enlisted after 2001, 9-11, right, mm-hmm. you knew you were going to war. Oh, yeah. Uh, opposed to, like, when I went in, I, I went in in 91 right after the Gulf War ended. I actually enlisted, and I was in the National Guard as the Gulf War was uh, was happening. Yep. And then it ended. And I was like, oh, all right. And it's not like I was a warmonger. Like, I had grown up in, in a veterans project where I, like, idolized the Vietnam vets and, you know, and the Korean War vets that were, you know, in this, this um, you know, it's a housing development that I lived in. So I always wanted to be it. You know, that's when you could still play, you know, you could play, you know, Americans versus Nazis. And you played World War II and war and all that stuff, right? Right. Um, When it was, you know, acceptable. So that's why I went in. But it's like, would I have still joined if 9-11 happened? Absolutely. You know, it was was the way my thought process was. Like, I'm going in no matter what. I mean, like, same thing with you. When I started getting deployed places, I was going, wow, wait, wait a minute. This 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 is real, and then you're like, "Shit, wait a minute! I've been training for this this whole time. Yeah, yeah. it's real." And you know, this is this is where we put out, you know, our money where our mouth is sort of yep. thing. So now, like, I went. I had uh, I had really no hard time transitioning, um, but a lot of your generation is seeming to have a hard time. Gener- um and and I wasn't a combat veteran. I had been deployed to peace rabbit fingers peacekeeping <laughs> missions, where um, we got shot at. In peacekeeping missions, however, we didn't return fire because that you're wasn't keeping the rules. Yeah, that wasn't the rules of engagement. We were our, the UN's bully police department, in a sense, right? We went there to show a force, fix things that were completely destroyed by us showing up, you know. And that's what we did. Opposed to now, you go to your generation, which is now you're going from, you know, battle mindset, battle mindset, battle mindset to all right, let's shut it off and be normal. And that, what's normal? Yeah, it's true. You're never normal again. No. I don't think from the, the first day that you get screamed at and get on a cattle wagon, you're never normal again.
2: No, no, that's that's when, <laughs> you know, you show up in the bus at, you know, 0300, and some big dude with a weird-looking hat or whatever gets on there and just starts screaming at you, get off my bus, and it's like, who puts you in charge, you know, and then you learn real quick. <laughs> first of all,
1: the people that are on, wow, that was the weirdest noise that ever. Was, that was weird. I was, wow, that how'd was, you do that? I have no idea. Ventriloquism, huh? So I just uh, I just took a drink, and I don't know what I just did. Um, <laughs> I was trying to get out. <laughs> um, but drill sergeants, right, no matter what, what branch of service they are, right, they are training the next generation of warrior. Yeah. And they are talented, and they're smart, but they do not know how to count. No. Because it was always, you have five seconds to get off my bus, and then you never got that five seconds. No. Because they were like, that time's up. Well, wait, do you know how to count? Like,
2: yeah, but- Think, think about it, Scott. You're, you're a parent. Mm-hmm. You have parents.
1: Yep. Did your mom ever make it to number three? No, we never let her. We always no. did what we needed to. But this guy was like, no, no. And know what they always did, too? He would tell you, you have 10 seconds to get off the bus. You'd all be off the bus in five seconds. No, nah, that wasn't quick enough. Get back on. Nope. So it was definitely a mind game. But mm-hmm. I honestly think, I, I, I just want to go, it, just for life, I would love to go to just that portion of the mind F yeah. of drill side in school. And the s talking in the shit talking section of that because those so guys good. come up with some. are so good. Like, do they sit around in powwow like, oh we? Well, no, no. Goat smelling ass is a good one. Write that down. Yeah, down. yeah. Right, write that, write, that, write down, that one down. Write that down. We're so, gonna use that one tonight. Yeah, exactly. So you get that, but um, but yeah. So it literally, I think from because obviously you've heard the podcast, but I I go off on on the rail all the time. You do, uh, yeah. but I think nice. since that first in in the, in the if you're in the military or you're not in the military, but in the military, as soon as we say. You're on that cattle bus, and it, as you're getting on this cattle bus, it literally will say, "Occupational ma- uh, o- uh, occupant pass would be like 40. Yeah. And you have a whole friggin' platoon in there. Yeah. Which is like 85 people. Yeah, two and, people to a seat. Yeah, and then you're standing up. Unless you're up. in the military, then it's yeah. four. Yeah, and then you're standing up, and you're all packed in, and some asshole says, man, we're packed in here like sardines. Yeah. And that's the switch, and uh-huh. that's when psychotic— Drill sergeants start screaming at you to get off the bus, and you have so many things. And how many people blow their knees out jumping out of that, right? Yeah. So I think from that moment there, I think your level of normal just starts to diminish, and you start going downhill quickly when it comes to military I career. think
2: I think that's the moment where you sit there in your head and you go, what did
1: I do? Oh, I had that night. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I've had a few of those. Yeah, I was like, what in the crap? Yeah. Especially from being up in, in like the Northeast, right? Yeah. Most drill sergeants for some are always from the always South. Always Southern. Always something. and they absolutely hate us, mm-hmm. and no matter what we do, and it's always what do they do? They walk around the gauntlet and they say, "Where are you from?" Mm-hmm. and I'm like, Boston, oh, we are Boston boy here, you know and then it's oh, yeah. yeah, and then it's it's over from there
2: well i i had uh, <laughs> uh one of my drill sergeants was drill sergeant Ales. Mm-hmm. um he was very Hispanic to the point that his English was not good at all. Mm-hmm. And he would sit there and yell at you and tell you to do things. And if you ever asked him to repeat it, you regret that. You only ask him to repeat it once.
1: Really? Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. So half the time I was like, I don't know what he said. I'm just going to do something until I get yelled at. I'm, I'm going to yell, yell that like, either way. So.
1: Yeah. I had a drill sergeant. Um, his name was Sergeant Sanchez. And Sergeant San- Sanchez was an NYPD cop. And he had actually been convicted manslaughter he had actually shot somebody on in the performance of his duty and at that time you could go to prison or go in the military right so he was a vietnam vet and he went in like 70 probably at the like beginning of the 70s or whatever but when we went through actually and you would get in trouble and you get counseled in his office he actually had the paper framed of his conviction like from this and the guy was just he was guy was psychotic and that's what he did. He was like he had every tab under the sun, uh, and this is at Benning. And I remember we were out in the field, and what do they tell you? Leave the wildlife alone. You know, blah blah. blah. Well, he yep. caught it. He caught a um, he caught a snake and ripped it in half in front of us. Yeah, mine did that too. Yeah, like crazy. And these are just compiling facts that you're never going to be normal again. No, like you're gonna see this shit and you're gonna be like, wow, this is really bizarre. So then now throw in the fact that you you're in the reserves. Yep. Uh, you're basically hunting. Service to air missiles, right? Yep. Now, you're doing that in the field on, like, some, like, modified Humvee that has the equipment on the back, or how does that work? So,
2: I got to Kuwait in, uh, what, February of 2003, and when I got to Kuwait in February, now, I mean, keep in mind, February up here in New England means snow and ice and yep. horrific driving every day. Um, Kuwait, it's a chilly 80 degrees and you know we we get off off the plane over there mm-hmm. and it's it, it's literally like taking a vacation to miami you get off and you're like okay let's start shedding layers and everything but you know in the army you you can't do that anymore it's not vietnam you got to keep all your, all your clothing on you have to adapt yeah well i i realized after well, i think it was like two weeks for us to adapt over there and then you go to work yeah. after two weeks i realized i had the best job ever you air conditioning. I spent 12 hours in an air-conditioned Humvee all by myself. Nice. And I didn't have to listen to anything. I just had to look for red dots on a screen. So we had a radio in there. I literally sat in a chair with my feet up for 12 hours watching, hoping for red dots to pop up on a screen. No kidding. And just rocking out to music, yeah. yeah. Wow. It was it was fantastic. That doesn't sound bad at all.
1: Well. <clears throat> and then now you pay for it on your next.
2: No, I, I paid for it that time. Oh, did you? Yeah, okay. yeah. Because, you know, once we got rid of all those. Oh, well, it's time to move across the berm. Okay. Then what do you do? Yeah. The army doesn't just say thanks for your service, go home. Yeah. You're on year-long plus orders. Mm-hmm. Find something else to do. Yeah. Convoy security sounds like a great idea for you. I'm yeah. like, does the uh, does the Humvee have air conditioning? They <laughs> said no. It doesn't even have doors. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm gonna say yeah. It's two sixty. Well, it was more like 245. two forty-five. Well, two doors, forty-five miles per hour. Right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fifty mile an hour catch-up speed. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I did a lot of that. Um, you know, um, (laughs) I burned poop, um, burned trash, I stirred poop, not proud of it. Yeah. Um, I'll never forget the smell of it.
1: I say all the time, I get, I have triggers. So I have triggers off of burning leaves. Like this time of year for me, because in every third world country I've ever been in, um, they burn all their trash on the side of the road. And they just literally put a pile, they burn it and walk away. Yep. So that always brings me back. So it, it's usually this time of year. And I'll actually talk with Cap Morowdy, Matt, all the time about it. It's like, I'll call him up. I'm like, dude, I'm having that day. He's like, oh, yeah, I smell it, too. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, I can I can relate to that because we also burn poop, too. Um, you burn but, poop here? Not here, but I, we did in the Balkans. Oh. So, yeah, it was fancy. I
2: wasn't sure if that was a city thing. Keeps the sewage down. No.
1: Oh, okay. no, no, We have septic here. It's wonderful. It's this pipe that goes out through the wall, right, when you flush it. The water goes down through the pipe and it goes out. F- flush. Flush. Yeah.
2: You don't just, don't just dig a hole.
1: No, you don't just go up back into your little little half moon on the door shack.
2: You have a shack. <laughs> <No>. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, so Sean like really lives in a rural like the woods, and and I think I live in the woods, but I'm so close to the city that he sees having three it trees the... in your backyard does yeah. not count as woods. I have a lot of trees in my backyard. You actually do. Yeah. But I also have, uh, I have a river, or a brook, so what do you got?
2: I have a hole in the ground. Oh, okay. It's a small pond.
1: (laughs) Wait, it's not the one you dug? Yeah. Oh, all right, gotcha. You should cover that over every once in a while.
2: No, no, you wait till the winter, it freezes up.
1: All right, so so convoy security, right? Convoy security. Um, Yeah. So then, now you did that for a year? Eight, for, uh, first your first deployment, how long was that? Eighteen months. Okay. What unit were you with?
2: So I went over with uh, Alpha Company, 325th MI Battalion. We were attached, and that, that was the unit at Devens, Mass. Yeah. And we were attached to the 205th MI Brigade out of Wiesbaden, Germany.
1: Oh, okay. Where are you? I'm trying to think. Where would you have been on Devon's? That was my last duty station. So Do I you know,
2: know where the? Um, Best way to put it, uh, you know where the Marine Corps Reserve building is? Mm-hmm. My building was right across the street from them. Okay,
1: so you were up by Sherman Ave. Yes. Yeah, we,
2: right. we used to actually look out the window and make fun of the... Uh,
1: I used to live, I lived at 694 Sherman Ave. Oh, wow. That's where I live. It was Animal House. I'll, I'll go into that story <laughs> another time. Um, <laughs> all right, so you're there, you're doing that for a year. Uh, then yeah. you come home, and how many tours were you over there?
2: So... <clears throat> the The way they broke it down, and I'm I'm actually rather confused about it myself. So I went over there for two different deployments, mm-hmm. but my Iraq campaign ribbon is a ribbon with four stars. So realistically, I have five tours.
1: Really? Oh, because they' how? What are they saying is a tour now? So is there was this? like
2: there was like the ground war, there was the rebuild, mm-hmm. there was like the peacekeeping, there was yeah, I don't
1: know. Yeah, you, know? you had enduring free, or, in, Iraqi freedom, enduring freedom, right? Yeah. Which was basically once they freed Iraq, then they just renamed it. And they were always really good about renaming things because you had like Desert Shield, Desert Storm.
2: See, they came up with cool names for, yeah. for your era. Yeah. You know, Desert Storm. That sounds awesome. Mine yeah. was the Iraq War. Yep. Yeah. It was three weeks. It was it was like, it was slightly more badass than Grenada.
1: Mm. First one, Desert Storm. Yep. was 100 hours long.
2: Yeah, but it had a cool name.
1: Yeah, well, it was. It was I mean, you guys, you guys had Storm and Norman. Yeah. Well, yeah, we did have some cool uh, things. Oh, and, and General Powell just passed away. Yeah, he did. God which is great. Soul. Yeah, he was a great uh, general during that war, too. Yep. Oh. So, uh, so, all right. So, you do, you do uh, the equivalency of five tours yep. out there. So, you do your first 18 months. You come home. How long are you home before you head back?
2: So, I got home in 2004. I didn't go back until 2009. Okay. And a lot of that is because the unit that I transitioned to as a uh, crew chief. Um, they had just gotten back from a deployment, I think in, I think they went 05 to 06. Okay. And then they were uh, they were up to go go back over there in 2009, so I went back in 2009, 2010.
1: One of my friends, actually, it was the last unit I was in, I never deployed with, I ended up getting out, uh, was in 94th MPs up here in Londonderry, and yep. they were there 18 months. Yeah. To the point that they kept extending, 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 and extending. And I think, as of right now, I think they are the longest deployed reserve unit in the history of the Army. I believe they are, yeah. Yeah, Which is crazy. Yeah, a
2: friend of mine from high school was in that unit.
1: Really? Yeah. I'll have to find out who it was. I actually got out. I didn't have to. I was going to reenlist, and then I was just, I didn't fit in. They just came back from Bosnia, and I just come back from Kosovo, and I wasn't in the cool kid in a group, and I was an E6, not MOS qualified, and they were, like, just completely ignoring me, and it pissed me off. Especially I was too egotistical and too good at what I was doing to have anybody ignore me. So I was like, screw this. I'm out of here. <laughs> Can't tell me what to do. Or yeah. not tell me what to do. Yeah, right. <laughs> so.
2: No, my um my, my first deployment was miserable because um you know, we were getting towards the end of our one year tour. Mm-hmm. And they called a formation a couple weeks before we were supposed to go home. Most of us had already sent stuff home ahead of time and yep. you know. And uh, they called us a formation. They called out your name, said, if I call your name, you go to this side. If I don't, you stand fast, you know, mm-hmm. fall in, whatever. Yeah. So they did that. They called my name, and I was like, oh, you know, I'm just thinking, I'm like, what did I do? What did I, like, you know, the, the last 10 or 11 months, I'm, I'm racking my brain. What did I screw up? What did I do? And then they said, okay, if we called your name, you guys have been extended. If I didn't call your name, you're going home. They split my unit in half.
1: No kidding, Really. And.
2: Most of my friends in the unit went home. They had a big welcome home ceremony and everything. It was it was glorious.
1: And then you guys got stuck there.
2: We, we we got home and like eight people showed up. We're like, hey, welcome home. Do you need help with your bag? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Not. I mean, yeah. not that I'm all about pomp and circumstance, but it's like you know you're splitting the unit. Like we went over there. We trained together. We went over there together. We served we together. Together. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, I can see what, I, and I I understand the whole even if there was no. Pump circumstance and you just came home as, a, as it would have been better if you guys all came home together as a complete team. That's yeah. almost like losing people, yeah, and coming home to that, like you feeling complete. I well, get that.
2: And he, even even my guys that that went home before I did, mm. you know, after they left, there was a hole in the unit. Like it, it's mm. like, you know, I, I wish I wish you know Farrell was here. I wish Hartley was here. Mm. You know, I, I wish these guys were here because we used to have fun. Yeah, you know, and uh, a lot of the people that I got stuck behind with. I never, I never really worked with them. I never hung out with them.
1: Yeah, that sucks. That yeah, yeah that's it. It sucks when they when they do that. Um, we didn't have that. Uh, the, we had a couple guys leave because they had kids uh, born, but other than that, like we didn't have that. Which I can see how that would really suck. Yeah, yeah.
2: I well, think I think out of that that deployment, um, I think we actually only lost three three or four people, I believe, mm-hmm. um, during the deployment, and uh, that. That took its toll on me, and when I found out everybody else was going home and I was still there, yeah, um, it, it's crazy. Because during the ground war and all that other stuff, like I, I was fine. I was like, "Let's do this," and then we lost some people. Yeah, and I mean, granted, for for a unit that had probably 300 soldiers, you know, we lost three or four. That's yeah. that's that's not bad. Yeah, I mean, it's still tragic, but it's not bad.
1: Yeah, because you look at some units that lose. You know, like 10, half the unit. Twenty, yeah. You
2: know, especially like the the marines.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep.
2: You know, uh, at one point the marines were dropping like flies, especially over in Fallujah and everything. <laughs> yeah. You know, I couldn't imagine, and they didn't they didn't deploy as huge units like like the army did. Yeah. You know, it was it was a couple of platoons would go, and like a half a platoon would come back.
1: Yeah, they would literally drop them off on a little friggin' hesco bag, like outpost on the side of a mountain. Yeah, hold this. Yeah. For what? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, we're gonna we're gonna hold this valley. Yeah. They're gonna go through the valley anyway. you
2: You want twenty-five of us to hold off the Taliban? Yeah, exactly. Okay, we can. Yeah. yeah, whatever.
1: It's military intelligence at its best. Hey, um,
0: hey,
2: hey, four years in military intelligence, be nice.
1: I'm just saying, there's a reason we left. No. You're not wrong. <laughs> you're not wrong. <laughs> so, all right. So you lose your guys. Now think about this too. Now, let's tell me, this isn't messing with your with your brain. You're still in theater, right? Yeah. You're not. You're not going home to heal or or, or you know start to process or start to begin grieving. Really. Um, Because when you have battle mindset, you really don't stop processing death with, you know, your brothers and sisters who have, 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 like, perished, right? Yep. You're still in that battle mindset, like, I'll deal with this later. I can't, I'll compartmentalize, right? Compartmentalize. Yep. So you put that away, and then we'll deal with it when we get home. So now you start thinking, wait, all those guys are home, and they're dealing with it, you know, and you're not dealing with them. They're actually home, and here you are by yourself again.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, that sucks.
2: You know, we we went from we went from having what a major lieutenant colonel as our commander to a uh, second lieutenant.
1: Really. Yeah.
2: He wasn't oh. bad. He actually, you know. Um, and that's scary. It, it was a it was a small group of us that that stayed behind. Uh, in all reality, we actually we got kind of close. Um, you know, one of the, one of the guys that I actually deployed with um, is a Braintree cop, and I still keep in touch with him every once in a while. Nice. But um, you know, it's. It was unreal, and you know, with the whole battle mindset, i i had I had about a fifteen or twenty minute break when I was over there, and that was that was when we um, September twentieth of two thousand three was when we lost a couple of guys, and uh, you know, we we had the the memorial there. Mm-hmm. Um, I had about a fifteen or twenty minute break of battle mindset where I I broke down because that that's like that's when reality hit. Yeah, you know, like you know that people are dying left and right, whether mm-hmm. it's American or Iraqi or. Yep. Canadian whatever. But when it's somebody you know, you it's know, real. Somebody that you were just hanging out with. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's when it sets in like, wow. It could be me. Yep. You know, and then one of my friends had who would who had perished, he um just became a father yeah. while while he was deployed. He only ever saw his daughter through a picture.
1: And a lot of people don't understand that. And then you and then uh, like I'm I don't know politics, but then when you get people who are pissed off at the military don't realize, like, put that into perspective. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's it's like there's no other other than a police officer, fireman. There's no other profession that you go away against not against your own wood, but you go away because your obligation to your job, right? Your obligation to your service, and that happens. Yeah, like where there's like doctors, no, that no. doesn't happen. You know, yeah, um, you know, construction you know? guys, stuff like that. They go home, but you know where police officers are you know, 16-hour shifts or whatever, you know. Can be, yeah. Yeah, fire, same thing. Well, and th- uh. that's
2: the other thing, too, is that if you think about it, you know, if you're a police officer and you're on a call and one of your guys is shot and killed, mm-hmm. you're still on that call. Yeah. You still have to finish that call and, and finish it safely. Yeah. Same thing with a fireman, you know. Mm-hmm. um you, you lose, like, uh, what was it, Boston Fire a few years ago. They, they lost um, a lieutenant and a firefighter. And they still had to fight that fires. I think it was like a five alarm fire right in downtown Boston. Yeah,
1: it, the Worcester Eight.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, and they still had to stay there and finish that fire. You know, they they, they couldn't take a, a minute to hang on. Let's let's grieve. No, it's let's get this under control before we lose somebody else.
1: And especially when when we talk about the military and the loss, you don't they don't go. Oh, listen, yeah, you guys just lost some of your buddies. We're going to send you off for a week. You know, for right. R&R. No, it's like, hey, sorry, this is. You know, we're going to give the the tributes. So you have the boots the rifle the helmet we're going to we're going to take some time today and then we're going right back out and doing what we got to do yep so that goes back to that 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 um battle mindset right so what does that do what's that do for your emotions it makes you angry right extremely it really adds a disconnect you uh you start to lose your sense of humanity in a sense right cuz yeah. there's a lot of anger in um involved in that it's just it's
2: not even just anger like it's straight hatred yeah how could they do this to, to such a decent person?
1: Or even the, why, why are they doing this to us? Because what we're here for is to help them. It's always hard to find a spot in a good interview to drop a moment for our sponsors. And at this time, I'd like to do that. I'd like to thank Rhodes Remodeling, uh, William Rhodes. Uh, they're out of Nashua. You can reach them at 603-438-5302. Putting your heart into your home is their motto you got expert construction, quality craftsmanship. So check out Rhodes. Call Billy, 603-438-5302. All right, let's jump right back into that interview because this is a great portion, and I know it wasn't a good time. But However, there really is no good time when it comes back into these, so let's get back at it. And you sit there and think, wait, so who is the enemy at this point, right? Because nowadays it's not the enemy doesn't wear a uniform like us. They don't, you know, they don't, like, it's not like the British... You know, like, all right, so look, here's the British and the red coats. Here they come, and then us, we line up. It's not like that anymore. Not even close. No, not even close. You have, you know, they're dressing and, and intermingling with civilians, and, you know, and we we're still wearing uniform, right? So then you start to throw that mix into it, and then the hypervigilance, right? Yeah. And then the paranoia, and just everything starts setting into you. And then, hooray, you come home, and guess what you still have?
2: Doesn't go away. You no. Know, doesn't go away at all.
1: So you're transitioning when you did get home after your deployments. How was that? That was tough. Yeah.
2: It was it was it was hard because, you know, first off I, I went over there for a year not knowing I mean, I turned twenty one over there. And um you you live every day by order. You know, um this needs to get done or you need to go do this or this needs to happen. You just go do it you know and that becomes your life and everything gets imprinted in your brain because of the circumstances that you're in and you know it's it's, it's not like it's not like when, when your dad's like hey you need to go clean your room okay dad yeah you know we we just had we just took some incoming fire we we need to return fire whatever there, there's no when you get around to it if you don't mind it was this needs to happen now and then i come home and when i came home you know i was i was single i when i left i live, lived with my parents, and i mean my dad's a vietnam vet, so he he kind of i mean he he was um he flew in the air force so he didn't he didn't know what it was like on the ground, but he lost wingmen so he kind of went through that and my dad and i didn't have the closest relationship growing up um but I can tell you when I came home i've never had a close relationship with anybody and my my dad and i you know i I would talk to him and he'd go i
1: know and that's powerful, right? Really it, powerful.
2: It's it's huge. Yeah. You know, cuz my dad never talked about it. You know, my dad my dad's never seen the Vietnam wall. Yeah. He won't go down there. I even asked him, you want me to you want me to get you some names or whatever? Absolutely not. Yeah. He just wants to forget about it.
1: It's just a chapter in his book he doesn't want to relive. And yeah. I can, I can see that, but Absolutely. however, there's a lot of healing involved in that. A ton of it. Oh.
2: I mean, he's 87 now, so mm-hmm. I I think that ship has sailed, but Yeah. You know, and it when when I came home, I I didn't have any order. I I didn't have any direction, and that that's why I wanted to get into law enforcement mm-hmm. because I I now's the time. Yeah, now's the time. I'm I'm ready. I'm prepared. You know, I go to the academy. It's the same thing. Yeah, you know, it's a paramilitary academy. So I had that order. I had that direction. I had the directive, um. And I I didn't excel at, at the academy. Yeah. Um, you know because I. I think I went to the academy just a few months after I got home. Yeah, so I never really had the chance to, kind of hit the dimmer switch a little bit and try to put on the back burner. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, 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 never failed a test on the, uh, you know, when I went through the academy, um, because I would actually spend a lot of time studying, because it would take my mind off of everything else.
1: Yeah, did no. It's funny, like going to a police academy after being in military, like military. I didn't take it serious at all.
2: I did not. At
1: I and I like I did everything I was supposed to. I put my best effort into everything I did. But as far as like, everything else, I, I like nothing. Like shakedown the first day it didn't bother me. I thought it was kind of funny. Um, I just like this, I've been through way worse than this. And I I'm kind of chuckling to chuckle into myself, thinking, man, these guys have no idea. Like that. This is not the real thing. It's like, funny. Yeah. You, know.
2: you know. Oh, you're gonna be disrespectful. Twenty push-ups. Twenty. <laughs> okay. You just want me to do twenty? That's cute.
1: Wait, wait, oh wait! I'm not, I'm not getting smoked for two hours, and you're gonna take some of my pay? Wait a minute. Okay, I, I can, do, I'll take this. I all don't the long. have to
2: do KP duty.
1: Yeah, this is challenge fantastic. accepted. Yeah, exactly. Want to pick those rocks out of that lawn? Absolutely. <laughs> so yeah, so I, that's how I was with that. Like I, I don't know where I, I graduated. I know I wasn't, I was in the top of my, in my class, and I'm saying in like the top percentage. Um, but when I went through, you must have had a lot of veterans in your academy, right? Yeah, I had four. That was it, four. I had a navy veteran, another army veteran, uh, and I think oh and a and a Coast Guard lieutenant. And that was it. Like and everybody else looked at us and were like, well, What do you want from us? Like I'm not I had no idea what, what not you know, I always wanted to be a police officer, I always wanted to serve. But we had kids that were like explorers and all this other stuff yeah. and like we're real like they they did their research. Me I was like, yeah, I want to be a police officer. And I got lucky, I had veterans' preference and I did good on the score. And I get there and people are going, oh, chapter 90. Oh, I can't wait to chapter 90. I'm like, what the fuck is chapter 90? <laughs> like, that's motor vehicle law. I didn't know what the hell they were talking about. <laughs> like, they're like, do you know what chapter 90 is? I'm like, dude, I just spent 10 years in the Army. Yeah, I'm right. like, do you know what singars are? And they're like, no. I'm like, all right, now we're even. <laughs> I'm like, so, you know, so, you know, you get that. So, but at least now you have brothers and sisters in arms with yeah. now in the police academy, you know, that was it helpful to you? No, you couldn't talk to them. Really?
2: My So my roommate um, in the academy uh, was a staff sergeant in the Army. He's he's still on the job. I think, I don't remember. He's, he's actually working somewhere down here. Oh, nice. Um, and uh, we couldn't talk to one another for, like, the first few days. And yeah, they knew. Yeah. They knew if you talked because we'd try to whisper. Yeah. And um, they knew. You know, because, I mean, it's it's the same game over and over and over. They, they, mm. they host three or four academies a year. Yep. Well, they did at the time. Now I think it's like sixteen or eighteen weeks, something like that. Mm-hmm. But it was like twelve weeks when I went, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, so they, they knew the game. Yeah. And eventually, we could talk, and I, and I learned that he was he was a staff sergeant in the army. I said that's so cool. I was in the army too, and mm-hmm. you know, I just got back from deployment. He goes, oh, so did I, and nice. um, and it was great. And then you know, halfway through, they flipped um, flipped your uh, your roommates around. Mm-hmm. I honestly. I can't even remember who my roommate was for the second half because he and I bonded so well at yeah. the academy. I remember him. Yeah. You know? Um,
1: Next guy was just filling the bed.
2: Yeah. Huh, yeah. Interesting. I, I, I do remember that he snored a lot. <laughs> a lot. It was like the first time I ever thought about snuffing somebody. <laughs> really? Yeah. I was like, because like, I need to sleep.
1: Like this pillow's heavy.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> it could just be an accident.
2: But yeah, no, I, I I never had the chance to switch it off, man. Yeah. And um, over the course of my career... And over the course of you know i, I guess trying to recover from combat and, and everything, I never switched it off yeah um i just i i buried everything deep down inside um and I never asked for help I never reached out i never i never looked you know to therapy i I never looked to just talk to a buddy i I just buried it maybe, maybe if I just push it away, it'll just go away
1: and it doesn't you know Not usually you even know that close. yeah and a lot of a lot of we get a lot of the young veterans that we deal with that hidden battles, um, they there's a lot of that, like, oh no, I'll be fine, it's going away. It's and it's not like they're really they're treating it like as a scrape or a bruise. Like, yeah. oh no, it's gonna it's going away. And you're like, you have no idea it's not going away. That's gonna sit there and it's gonna eventually it's gonna manifest into something much worse, you know?
2: Oh absolutely. You know, mm-hmm. and I mean there's very vivid things from two thousand three that, that I remember. That was almost mm-hmm. twenty years ago.
1: Yeah. Like and think about it that like all our non veteran and like even the law enforcement and like first responders A lot of people who don't understand, who think like, oh, it's a memory that'll go away. And you think, you're like, oh, it's gone. Oh, you're not worried about And then, like I said, the smell, you'll smell. And I will tell you like, um, and not to be gruesome, but like blood has its own smell. Absolutely does. Right? Um, Burned flesh has its own smell. Oh, yeah. Right? And what do you do? You associate that to, all right, so I had a, a bad car accident, right, where somebody was burned in the car. Now, every time I smell an airbag... I'm back there. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So now what is in an airbag? Talcum powder. So now I smell talcum powder, and I'm back there. And, and these little triggers, you know, and it's almost like that eight degrees of separation type of thing. Absolutely. You know, and a lot of people don't realize. And a lot of people like, oh, all right, well, if, if, if a veteran or first responder doesn't see a dead body, they're not going to think about a dead body. Well, no, no, it's the 15 other clues that link me to it. Um, driving down the road. If I see a sneaker on the side of the road, I instantly start thinking of a kid I saw that got hit by a car because what happens? They get knocked out of their shoes, right? So you think of stuff like that. You know what I think about? Know what?
2: If I see a sneaker on the side of the road or garbage on the side of the road.
1: ID Bingo. Yeah. So, and I had mentioned this on a podcast before and you probably heard about this was um, I would tell people uh, we would get a radic operation, right? And instantly would say, veterans plate. And I like, oh, I know what it is. Veterans drive very aggressively because of the fact that they're always worried about IEDs, kids dropping grenades off overpasses and stuff like that. And what what how veterans, and this is a classic veteran move, if somebody's tailgating them, they slam on the brakes, they let them get past them, then they cut them off, which is like the craziest Absolutely. thing. Right? All the time. And I would get that, and it took me a long time to convince my administration I'm not charging this guy with OT or road rage. I'm like, you have to understand this guy has been trained to do this. Like this is in his fiber of his being to drive this way. I'm like, there's a sign on the back of every vehicle that says stays back. Keep five, back five hundred you know, yeah. feet. You know Deadly Force authorized. And when somebody tailgates them, you think that you will get tailgated, like the non veteran gets tailgated, gets aggravated. Mm-hmm. Now ramp it up a little and this is what I tried telling them and it would take a while and I would tell the people listen I'm a to talk to him as a veteran whatever and then I would never I would, I would document it but I would say buddy listen you got to start the transition and yeah. I understand it um, we would get the like I said we'd get we had a highway ran throughout town we'd get the call erratic operation every time he goes under a bridge he radically switches the lanes well that's because guys and, and kids were dropping cinder blocks and boulders and grenades, grenades and shit. Yeah. yeah so people don't understand that you carry that baggage around as a veteran right and it doesn't, like, like literally, it's not Etch-A-Sketch. It's not like you change a uniform and, like, one day, you know, oh, one day, yeah, I worked at a printing press. Now I went to school and I'm a doctor. Like, you don't leave it. It's freaking still there with you. Like, as a veteran and a first responder, it doesn't matter. You can change all you want. It's still, it's in you.
2: Yeah, and, well, I mean, the other thing, too, is that almost every job out there, you're going to have some, some variant of post-traumatic stress will or can occur. You know, if you think about, oh, they're just a night clerk at a Seven Eleven. Okay. Well, guess what? Last week, they were at gunpoint when someone was robbing it. Yeah. And yeah, that clerk's definitely. never going to forget it. Yeah. You know, the first time a doctor comes out of surgery, he goes to the waiting room and tells a family member, I'm sorry. They're never going to forget that.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, and it it doesn't matter. The first time that a teacher comes back to class after after a weekend and finds out that, you know, Jimmy was involved in a car crash and, you know, unfortunately he passed... You know, they're never going to forget that. They're going to look at Jimmy's empty desk. And everybody can get post-traumatic stress.
1: And I was just about to say that. That's the wonderful thing about post-traumatic stress. It's non-discriminative. Absolutely it, it not. Doesn't, it doesn't say, hey, you know what? Uh, man, female, sexuality, race, whatever. It doesn't matter what your occupation is. You can have it. And how many times on a live will people ask you that? You know what I mean? Like, oh, I was in a bad car accident. Can I have post-traumatic stress? Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, it doesn't say military, law enforcement, medical only. Like, it does not matter because it's post-traumatic stress for a reason. It's non nondiscriminative. And you can get it from an abusive relationship. You can get it from Oh, yeah. Uh, and that's usually, I, I notice that's one of it's the biggest. big time. Right? Yeah,
2: because, you know, especially a woman that was physically or even sexually abused, um, most of the time, they're never, in the back of their mind, they're never going to trust males again. Yeah. There's always going to be that, well, he did it, so why wouldn't he do it?
1: Then, the, then like, the same thing with, like, the military. And, like, law enforcement, it's not, not so much, like, the content of it, right, the post max stress, but there's also the hesitance, right? So yep. when you get out of the military, you have a hard time um, relating to crowds of people that don't relate to you, in a sense, right? Yep. You're always on your guard, kind of like somebody, like that woman you just said. Yep. Always a stands backish now because of, the like, what's going to happen, and always, like, waiting for the next shoe to fall. And that's what military is doing. That's basically what battle mindset is. And and know it is? It's funny because if you listen to any— any military um, commander will say, A battle mindset was perfect. And then we come home, and battle mindset's not what you want. It's not, like I said, it's not a uniform. You don't take it off, or it's not like you punch out, like the Flintstone, just stick the friggin' thing in, and the dinosaur bites the card, and then it's not there anymore. Like that right. shit comes with you. Absolutely. And then what do they do? It's not battle mindset anymore. Now it's post max dress.
2: Well, and yeah, and I, I think, you know, when you had brought up that. People have asked me before, well, I, you know, I saw a bad car crash or I was involved in a car crash. You know, could I have it? Well, I think a lot of the reason why is because people know the history of post-traumatic stress. Post-traumatic stress was shell shock. Yeah. So it only applied to, you know, World War One, World War Two. Mm-hmm. you know, it only applied to them. It was shell shock. And then they actually gave it a name, post-traumatic stress disorder, which I don't agree with the D.
1: Yeah. Oh, no. I never say no, I never said that. It's post-traumatic stress. No. You have that 1,000-yard stare. Oh, yeah. Right? So there's a whole bunch of them. They just keep, like the military, they're really good at just renaming things, right? But that's exactly what they did. They took, you know, they took, um, what was it, Battle Stress Fatigue was yep. one. That was World War II, was yep. battle, battle Stress Fatigue. And then they brought Shell Shock, right? Yep. Then it was 1,000-yard stare. And now it's post max stress. You know, actually now, but now it, it's not a nickname. Now it's actually a clinical. Right. Like we hey, listen, we it's we've named it and, and now it's our child and we own it, which is exactly. fucking fantastic.
2: Yeah. Well and, and, and that's the thing is is that you know for a while, especially Vietnam vets and everything, when when they first came home, look at that crazy guy over there. Oh yeah. That guy's crazy. Mm-hmm. He's not crazy. He's suffering.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He's seen some shit. Yeah. And that's and, and it's like I said, we've been saying it it doesn't just go away. And and, and what does it do? It takes therapy, and you've done yeah. equine therapy with us. I've, um, I've
2: I've done all sorts of different types of therapy. Yeah. Um, you know, I actually I I, I went through uh, the vet center was uh, where I first started. Mm-hmm. Um, and the therapist that I had there was a Vietnam vet. Actually, he was a he was a river rat in Vietnam, and um, I got along well with him. Yeah, he retired like four months later, and the next mm-hmm. guy. Yeah, I didn't get along with him, so I stopped.
1: Yeah. I went
2: to another therapist. And I missed an appointment. Mm-hmm. She never called me. The only thing, the only thing I thought about was,
1: what if you weren't around anymore?
2: What if I'm hanging from a tree yeah, somewhere? Yeah, exactly. She doesn't even care. Yeah. So I said, you know what? Screw her. And I actually ended up finding one out on the seacoast, and um, and that was after. That's a different story, but that was that was after a homicide that I covered. Yeah. Um, that I started seeing her, I hit it off well with her, mm-hmm. and I think I went I went and saw her for like. 6 or 8 months something like that. And I wouldn't say she fixed me, but she definitely helped. She definitely yeah. put a bandaid on the wound for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she couldn't relate to me. She was not a veteran, nothing yeah. like that. She's just a doctor. But she was she was great. And it was never one of those things where you sit on the couch and they've I, got the uh, note yeah. notepad and they I ask you, that. "How does that make you feel?" Yeah. Maybe how does that make me feel? Yeah. Let's dig like, deeper. it makes me in feel like that. I want to choke you, right? Yeah. Now. Yeah.
1: yeah, let's dig deeper. All um,
2: good. and then um I stopped going to see her for a little while and, um, I heard about equine therapy and I said, well, what's a horse going to do? Like, I'm scared of horses. It's a 1600 pound animal that, that can decide if, if you're going to go for a ride or not. Yeah. Um, I was scared of them and, uh, some, I can't remember who it was. Somebody told me well, that's even better. Because then you're more you're more worried about the horse than everything else. And I was like, you know what? That sounds stupid, and yet it makes sense at the same time. So I'm just gonna try it. And I went there, and um, Tara, the the woman that heads up um, EIP, she uh, she goes, Are you ready to get into a stall with a horse? I go, I'm sorry. She goes, Well, you got to bond with the horse. You have to get in there with the horse. Yeah. This is a stall that's like 10 feet by 10 feet by 10 feet by 10 feet. There's not much room okay? now. Yeah. And this is like an 11 foot horse in there. And I was like, you want me to get in there with that? And she goes, yeah, just walk right up and just start, you know, brushing it or whatever. And I was like, absolutely not. Yeah. She put me in with the smallest horse, too, by the way. And I was like, why Why would anybody want to do that? And then I was like, you know what? Screw it.
1: Yeah, I'm here. Put
2: me in there. Yep. But keep the door open. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the horse has somewhere to kick me to. <laughs> and um, I didn't bond with that horse. Yeah. I was very uncomfortable in there with the horse. The horse's name was Blaze. I'll never forget it. And, um... And they put me in with a bigger horse named Mac, And uh, I wasn't in there two minutes. Yeah. And I forgot about everything that was going on in the world. Really? Everything. I was just more... Felt like, you know, horses have eyes on the side of their head, not in front of their head. Yeah. And I'm sitting beside it, scratching.
1: <clears throat>
0: yeah.
2: You okay? Yeah, I'm going down. I was going concerned down. for a minute. I'm going down. Okay. So, <laughs> man down. So, I, I, was, I was in there, and he would just staring at me with his one eye and I was staring back at him and I remember looking at him and, and I literally said this out loud if you don't kick me I won't turn you into glue
1: wait I, I think it's great that he was staring at you with this one eye and you were looking well, at him with two well, <laughs> like, like you there was less trust with you that you need to keep both eyes on him
2: absolutely absolutely and uh by the end of the day I was riding that horse nice like, the Marlboro, man. Like, I was riding that. Like, I was, really? I was a cowboy.
1: No, that's I was, good. I was a cowboy, yeah. That's amazing, because we've, like... And I know we sponsored... You sponsored that uh, that weekend. You were there. Thank you, by the way. You're welcome. Um, but I know, like, Captain Rowdy, who's a mess. Uh, he's And that's his words. Uh, he's been on the... He's, you can tell. If you listen to the, the other podcasts, I would go back and look for the Cap Rowdy podcast, and uh, the proof is in the pudding with those. Facts. Um, and he has horses, because they help him. Like, he owns his own. He has two at his house. And he does the equine... Um, the EIP weekends and it's like he goes you know what I mean he goes to those because of the whole experience and what he gets out of it Um, and like they can explain it Tara can explain it really well Jen can explain it really well and how it works Um, Ironstone they they do a great job and strong water like we work with them because the fact that they say it works, and then we get people like you to come back and say, it works. And me, I'm like, I don't, I don't know. All right. It works? Fantastic. Like, you guys know. I I don't know everything. And I openly admit that. But You going to go with me on the next one? I Yeah, I am. Good. It's just the only thing that stinks is every time something happens like that, I have something going on. Stop like, it. I can't help it. That's it. hard running one of these things. These I understand Non-profit, that. no-timing thing. You're right? crushing it, too, by the way. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Um it's awesome. We we've been going for a while. I love it. And we haven't even broken for our, our sponsors. So just let's take a quick break for our sponsors. This portion of the podcast is brought to you by Jean Credit Union. Jean Credit Union has been helping members in the community for over a hundred years. A credit union's mission is people helping people. And at Jean Credit Union, they support that mission by educating and guiding their members to make smart financial choices. Call them at nine seven eight-four five two 5001 or visit online at jdcu.com that's jdcu.com to learn more about how Jean Credit Union can help you all right thanks uh that was our sponsors so definitely check out our sponsors on our uh, on the web page uh you can find them on the the attached links but yeah no i really honestly i want to do an equine uh therapy thing i literally we have there's so many that we're trying to get going now that covid's hopefully a thing of the past or eventually will be um and that's that's up in the air right right but we have we have uh fly fishing that we're going to be kicking off in the spring Um, we're going to readdress and revisit the art therapy the music therapy Uh, the cooking classes are back but and it's little things like that like you know i say to people try it you don't know like if you never tried equine therapy you would have been like Where would you be today, right?
2: If you brought it up right now, I'd be like, that just sounds like a stupid idea. Yeah,
1: And it's not the fact that I'm like, hey, it fixed Sean, and Sean's amazing now. No, it worked for you. Whether it was long-term, short-term, it worked for you. Yep. And how do you know, like, something else won't unless you just try it? And that's what I tell people all the time. You need to try it. Like, if I was to say, you know, go back. I've been doing this, what, since 2017. If I was to go back... On 2016, and and somebody was to tell me, "Oh, Scott, you're gonna have a nonprofit where you help other veterans and first responders." I'd be like, "Dude, I'm a fucking mess now." Like, no, I'm not. Like, I and and it worked. So, you never know unless you try, right? And that's what a lot of the thing is: is you can't get pigeonholed into, especially with, with where I was. And I'll this will be my next question for you, where my depression was so bad that I was like incapacitated until I absolutely knew I had to. Put my boots on, put the happy face on, and do things to make it look I was productive. And did you have those moments?
2: Yeah, um, I it, so it's I, I I don't know I don't know if it if it's rude of me. I don't know if um, um, if I'm gonna make people upset, but I I have an alive day. Um,
1: so explain what an alive day is because we still have people who are just finding out about this this struggle that we have
2: so on an, an alive day the, the best way to explain it is it's the day that you cheated death um whether you're overseas or you're involved in a nasty car crash or something like that and you survived now i don't mean like you got rear-ended at the walmart parking lot that's not an alive day i mean i mean like you coded your were, people were pumping on your chest cpr like you you were just about to be pronounced dead and, and you fought back and you survived that's an alive day I had one of those. Really? But my alive day is I had, I almost became one of the 22. Okay. And I had a full plan. Like everything was set in motion. That therapist that I told you about, I called her immediately. Once I realized in my head, like I didn't like write it down on a piece of paper. Yeah. You know, like I didn't have like schematics and stuff. Like yeah. there there was, there was no, no physics involved. It was today's the day. Yeah. And. And it was like it was a light switch, mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll explain it to you. Today's the day I'm going to walk out in the woods behind my house with a shotgun. I'm going to blow my brains out. Yeah, that's going to happen when I get home. Mm-hmm. I didn't go home. Now my wife and kids were in were in the truck with me. Yeah, and I pulled over and I looked at my wife and I go I need to get some help. Yeah, and she goes What are you talking about? I said I'm not going to talk about it in front of the kids. I need yeah. to get some help. Yeah, call my therapist right then and there. And she goes Holy crap! Hang on, don't do anything, don't go anywhere. Let me call you back in two minutes. I'll get something set up. And yeah. she did. Yeah. That was my live day. That nice. was February 16th of two years ago.
1: Nice. Well, I'm glad you're still here because you're handsome. <laughs>
2: I, I <laughs> no, mean, you don't have to get up and
1: look at so this face people, the morning. People are like, well, I can't believe you just cracked a joke. But that's what we do, mm-hmm. right? That's, that's what we do. Um, no, I, like, I, don't, I honestly say that I have my moments, but I've never had a live day. I, I have my moments where I sat back and I said, what if I was not here? You know, yeah. It would be easy for me. Like, to just end everything I'm going through. And then I would say that, like, what if I wasn't here, you know? And then I would start to think of things. And this is what is really pulled me off um ledge. And, I, and I've never had a plan. Like, I've thought, all oh, right, if, if I'm going to do it, this is how it would be. But I never sat there and said, today is my day. Like, I never did that. But I've always thought of this, and I've always told my brother this, and I've always told other people this. Like, you really need to think of everybody around you. Like... Your mental health is like affecting everybody, like dropping a pebble in the like a pebble in the pond. Yeah. It creates ripples, and that ripples affects the persons that the people that are so close to you, even all the way out to the people that you've you've touched just loosely. You know what I mean? For people to say, "Holy shit!" Like Scott or Sean took their lives. I mean, how would that affect everybody? Think about it. That's so weird. I just saw him at the hardware store the other day. Exactly. What's this? Oh my shit! Like that guy's the funniest guy. What happened? I never would have thought that, right?
2: Well, that's for Scott, not for Sean. For right. So,
1: but that was, but see, that's what my brother. That's what happened. to My brother, right? And yeah. a lot of people are like, no way, you know. And I was like, yeah. Um, and it was just because, like, the great pretenders, right? We we put on a great game face, like, hey, look, we're fucking happy all the time, and we're not, right? Um, but that's what just what we're perceived as. And I've I've done that, and I actually sat back one day and I was like. Started, like, reading in my mind the things I used to say to my brother, like, listen, you know, because my brother used to talk about suicide. And I would say to him, dude, you got a daughter. You need to walk her down the, the aisle. That's your job. Like, you have a son. You need to, like, hold his children. Like, this is the shit you're here for. This is why you were on the planet, you know. Yeah. And I used to tell him that. And then I actually took, I would I would take that of my own advice that way. I would say, you know, this is, like, because how easy it is to just turn to the dark side and, and fucking give it, right? Oh, piece of cake. Right? And I would sit there and i I could have my moments and I'm like, "You know what no i I got a daughter i gotta I gotta be there for her. you know um i you know I have people that depend on me, and I would be like, "All right, snap the fuck out of it and and I'm gonna swear on this, and if we're at this point and you're still listening, then you're expecting it <laughs> um but and I would do that, and I would snap out of it, and then i would I would have like a couple good weeks, and then I never really had any luck with therapists, like I just never did. I never found one that was good for me. I know I talk about the one therapist who I went. The first time I went there, the guy just like slid a box of tissues over to me, sat and like did his notebook thing, and he did the, "Well, how does that make you feel?" "Well, I'm fucking bawling my eyes out as a grown man. I'm pretty sure we can figure it out, and if we yeah. can't, you should find another job." <laughs> um, you know, and then next thing I know, the next visit I go see him, he's telling me about how his wife cheated on him with a police officer in town and how he doesn't like cops, and I'm like, "Wait a minute, that's what I am." Like, obviously you're not taking me serious. And then it was always about insurance. You know, who's going to pay for this visit? And that was like brutal for me. So, when we started hitting battles, I was like, no, no, we're going to help people pay for their therapy. And to, if not, I'm going to find an organization that can do it for free, you know? And, and that's what we've done. But a lot of people don't understand, like, like you said, if you, a therapist has got to fit like a nice dress. Absolutely. It's got to fit like a good pair of sneakers. Like, if it's not a good fit, it's not going to work. And you actually almost have to start to look forward to seeing your therapist. You know, entrusting them to the fact that they're going to help you, and when I feel better, I I might feel shitty when I leave, but the next day I might feel really great. Yeah. You know.
2: I mean, my my ride to the therapist was uh, just over an hour one mm. way. Yeah. You know, and I would drive an hour to go sit with her for forty five minutes and drive an hour home. Yeah. You know, and um, after that homicide that I went to a couple of years ago, um, you know, she was uh, she was on a weekly basis. I was I was visiting her, mm. um, and I didn't care. Yeah. I was like, I, I need to get this done. We click, uh, you know. I have faith in her. Yeah.
1: Well, you know what it is, and it's great because you have a saying that, and I like your saying, and I, I've never said it. But like, at one point, I'm like, I got, I get I got no fucks to give anymore. But you're like, no, I'm at my limits. Where I have, what do you just say it?
2: Um, I, 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 <laughs> I, I reached the level of fuck it, and all that means is, I'm that. That's that's my mood. Like literally,
1: hey, hey, man, your uh, your house is burning down. All all your stuff is in it. Fuck it, yeah, yeah. Everybody's safe. Everything else is replaceable. Yeah, right? and it's it's like literally. I used to say all the time to people, "It is what it is." At this point, like, it is what it is. Yeah, like I'll just deal with it. You know, um. Oh, this is this is broken. <laughs> it is what it is. Like, if it, it it and like I said, it's so easy to get consumed by it. And if you just say "fuck it" or "it is what it is," then you actually you put it like a bookmark in that. Like, all right, I'm done with that. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And that's the way you really got to do it because being as damaged as we are, it's so easy to just dwell on things, right? And to add more stress, to already stress that we have internally that if we just let go of that, because no matter what it is, car, you know, house, something happens at the house or whatever, you might, like, I flip out. I'm like, oh, fuck, and then I'm like, oh, calm down. It's just this, you know? Or I'll just say, you know what? Like my wife used to telling me, she's like, why are you smash? Like I had leaf blow. It? Why are you smashing? It? I'm like, because when it's broken, I'm not going to spend three hours tinkering with it. Absolutely not. I'm like, I'll just, and she's like, what is wrong with you? I'm like, no, because if not, I'm going to spend the next three days pissed off trying to fix this thing. I'll just destroy it now, and I'll buy a new one. I'm going to save yep. myself a lot of time in it because it is what it is at this point. It is destroyed. I'm done. You know what I mean? And that's how I, I took the approach. It's kind of a savage approach to things. It, it really you know? is, yeah. But the thing is, I don't do it all, like everything. Like like TV remote's broken, I'm going to smash it. No, but it was like, if I have very high stress days where like everything relies on it, like that, that day, and people are going to be like, oh, what the hell, is this, guy? this guy's out of his mind. But that day was like a day that I went out to do yard work to get away and get out of my head, right? And nothing was working. Yeah. It, so that was my... I, I, yeah. it, it is what it is. Fuck it. You know?
2: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You, you literally just sit back and you're like, I don't even care. Yeah. I don't even care. Yep. Hey man, like your, your lawnmower's on fire. So in a minute my, my yard will be on fire and I don't have to worry about mowing it.
1: <laughs> yeah. And it's just, it's just the way that I've like learned how to process it. And you're like pretty much on the same like mindset when it comes to yeah. that, you know? And it's funny cause when we were talking, we had pizza that day, first day I met you, when you were saying that, I'm like, it's a reading from the chapter, Scott, right there. Yeah. This, is, this is exactly how I am. I studied. Yeah. It, oh, that's good. Somebody <laughs> had to. I don't even... What's your name again? <laughs> I mean, it's, but, um, so listen, we're coming up to like the hour point um, on these, and we usually use people, but I'm going to make this a two-parter, which is because I think it, it's very important for people to understand that, you know, we you've been through, um, where you are, and how you're dealing with it. Yeah. You know, because that's realistically what it's all about is it, it's it's where you are today. And a lot of people then I'll say to people, I'm like, yeah, you may have a shitty path and shitty things have happened to you, but where you are today, is it a good place? And they're like, Well, it's not bad. I'm like, Yeah, but everything that's happened to you brought you to this exact moment right now. Yeah. And I say that to myself and I said, Well, I've had like I had a shitty, like upgrowing, uh, like, you know, not the best friggin' parents, um, shitty neighborhoods, like just, you know. Misfortune, misfortune, you know, stupid shit happened to I me, mean, whatever. And I say all the time, you know, and, and like my brother's death, uh, a couple of bad, you know, bad calls at work and stuff, but I say all the time, like, I wouldn't change anything because I'm here and I'm helping people today. And if I didn't, not one thing, like, people say, oh, I'm sorry about your brother. I'm like, I'm sorry about my brother too, but I've turned it into something positive. Yep. And if it never happened, I wouldn't be sitting here with you. Like, I never would have met you. Absolutely. I never would have, like, started hitting bells. I never would have. If I, got TikTok, I probably TikTok, I'd probably be swearing all over TikTok and getting banned all the time, street cred. Well, I mean, and, uh, <laughs> but, we, but, we're going to
2: have to tattoo that uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, we're going to get the tattoo yeah. tonight.
1: Um, but that's the way, I, and I tell people that, almost. you have to start focusing on, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, some shitty things happen to you, but those put you in a path that maybe now you met your wife or your husband and now you have two beautiful children, and that never would have happened if that shitty thing never happened to you you know and you got to kind of positive spin everything and that's what i try to do all the time I sometimes have, it works sometimes i'm it I'm, a, I'm a
2: huge proponent of finding the positive in anything yeah you know it's like e- even when i when i go live on my tiktok and mm-hmm. everything you know uh, people are like oh i'm having a bad day or whatever cool we're all having a bad yeah. day you know why are you having a bad day it's shitty and rainy out yeah. okay what what do you like to do i like to hike i like to hunt fish or whatever yeah. you realize that everything you like to do depends on that rain right Yeah. so take one day off let yep. the rain do its thing, and yep. then enjoy it when the sun comes back out.
1: See, you're much more like poetic about it. Me, I I'm like, say handsome. I'm no, sorry. no, no. I've already said that. Yeah. Um, I but I'll say something on the lines of, uh, they're like, oh, it's fucking. It. I I want to be out, but it's pouring. I'm like, well, at least you're not in it. It's true. At least you're not broken down on the side of the road, standing in it, directing like home, right? In it. Yeah, at least you're not in the military, <laughs> like soaking in a foxhole. If it like, ain't raining, we ain't training. Yeah, exactly. And I say, and I do that positive thing. Like I had a guy reach out to me. Um, and he's like, you know, my life's falling to shit. I'm like, you got your health? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, what else do you need? Yeah. I'm like, Liz, everything else is replaceable. Like your health is everything. And, I, and he's like, well, you know, but I have this and I have that. I'm like, do you have cancer? And he's like, no. I'm it's like, true. dude, it can always be worse. I'm like, stop. It's like I said before, it's so easy to fall into the negative. Right. Yeah. Instead of trying to find the positive thing and like kind of give the negative part of like the middle finger and just keep moving on. And that a lot of people do that, and obviously you are doing it too. Fuck it, yeah. I am a man living of fucks that I can give out, and that's you know I think that's great. And I think a lot of people, if they, especially who are suffering from mental health and post traumatic stress, that if they start to live with that philosophy of, fuck it, if there is nothing I can change about, it, I got a truck on, I got to move past it and find something positive, and you know, yeah, I think we'd be good with that. So, like I said, we're we're well into the hour mark, and uh, they usually don't go this long, but this was this was a good one. And I appreciate it. But, I'm, um, I'm really glad that you have me on yes. here. So we'll have we'll pot two and pot three and shit like that. We'll do more. But yeah, no, I just like like if anybody has questions, I know we like right now we're live on TikTok. One on Let me see if we can get um. Let's see if we can get a question. Yeah, it's your phone. You can look. And maybe we'll see if we can answer a question too. Hi, Jess. Hi, Emily. Hey, kids.
2: <laughs> anybody have a question? Anything at all? I don't have any
1: comments like
2: comments are good. Yeah. Do you have any like awkward silence music you can plug in here? Yeah, I, I can
1: nonsense. I can put some stuff in there. Oh, they
2: were discussing rage rooms.
1: Rage Oh my oh god. My gosh. I would I would kill for a rage room. I would love to just Let's go, go right and now. smash things. Let's yeah. go right now. I have a rage yard. I do one. I have a rage yard where we just I just smash things out here.
2: I I got to tell you. Mm. Your wife is much smaller than I am, but I'm afraid if I break something here, she she she's going to break me in half. Yeah, she yeah, yeah she's psychotic. No. No, but <laughs> I I think um I think a rage room would would be awesome.
1: Mm. I know they were big in, in um, L.A. and in New York. And then I know that they just put one around here, maybe Salem. But think about it. They go and they get, like, rehab furniture and office equipment and TVs and shit. And people just go Here's going a sledgehammer. In. Have a great yeah. day. Thank you. That'd be amazing.
2: Um, I did get a question on here. Yeah. What is your favorite interaction with kids? Um,
1: You're a hockey coach.
2: I am a hockey coach, yeah. Um, and a dad. So I, I'm around kids. Um my favorite thing about kids and it's it's not even it's more kids than adults, but it it's literally everybody is I love when you teach somebody something new and you you can physically see it click. I'd love that. You know, when, when someone's like, you know, what do you do for a living? I'm a police officer. Really? Yeah. And then the kids ask the craziest questions. What what type of police officer are you? I'm I'm a cannon officer. Your dog bite people. <laughs> He licks them. Yes, yes, he bites people. Yeah. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah, it is. My dad got bit by one once. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, and it's, I, I just, I love when things click yep. with kids. Just a look on their face, some of the stuff they say.
1: Mm-hmm. Think about it, and it's going to stay with them for the rest of their life, right? Because I remember, like, um, being inspired by police officers <laughs> in my neighborhood who would, like, would grab me and throw me in the back of the cruiser and drive me home because they knew we were up to no good, you know? But think of that, like, that little kid is going to think about that every day as like, yeah. you know, he could be the next canine officer in his town because he sat there and met you and was like, that guy was so nice, and his dog was awesome, and he bites bad
2: guys. That's what happened to me.
1: Is it? <laughs> My dad got pulled over on I-93 mm-hmm.
2: by a state trooper. Yeah. I, I can never remember what the guy's name is. I have no idea. I know he's a huge black man, and he had muscles on his muscles. Yeah. Big dude, right? Comes walking up. I felt. I saw my first limo, and yeah. I told my dad, "I want to go see it." So my dad, like a good dad, stomped on the gas pedal yeah. to catch up to this limo. Mm-hmm. Well, the trooper was sitting right there and was like, "Not today." He yeah, pulled us over, and I was like, oh, "Look at the lights; those are so cool." <laughs> and he gets out of out of his cruiser and everything <laughs> like that, and I was like, "He is humongous." Yeah, and I can hear a dog barking. He comes walking up. He's all like, oh, license registration. Box. Was it in no, Massachusetts? No, no. New oh, okay, all right. Cool. And uh, and I go, "Do you have a dog?" <laughs> And he he kind of, like, looks in the back at me, and he goes, well, yes, son, I do. And I'm like, oh, that is so cool. Yeah. I was like, two things in one day. I got my dad to see a limo, and I got to see a, a, a police dog or whatever. Yeah. And then I just kept asking him questions. Yeah. I don't think he ever actually grabbed my dad's license. Really? I, I think at one point he was like, go on, get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> Shut your kid up, you know. <laughs> He's like, wait a minute. Does and this I, kid
1: talk like this all the time? Yeah, I, I was, can see I why like, you're driving. Yeah,
2: fast. exactly.
0: just <laughs> want to get home. <laughs>
2: And and I I was like I was like that's what I
1: want to do yeah that's awesome
2: like it it, w- it wasn't like you know he saved me from something or whatever like yeah. he took the time to talk to me yeah and to sit on the side of ninety three is not the place to do it mm-hmm. he did it yeah and that's what meant a lot to me
1: and that's amazing it's like I have I have kind of that I have Chris Chris was basically that kid that used to come and talk to me at the the farmers market and I, I'm not saying he's uh, um like the reason he's a police officer. Um, but I think I might've had something to do with the fact that he like, liked it, you know, he liked, enjoyed what I was doing and, you know, giving talks and talking to little kids about car seats and bike helmets and all that other crap. Right. But that's that's like community policing one one. That's what you want to do, right? Absolutely. You want, to, want to make it so that kids understand that, like, if if something bad happens, we are safe to come to, opposed to what yeah. they're seeing on TV and listening to arguments. You know, because a lot of kids that need help are the ones that are from the inner city, or you know, if you ever want to get them to get help or seek help and not be victims, you want them to come to policemen. You want them to go to firemen and stuff like that, where it's not that way anymore. Right? You know, it's we're portrayed as the bad guy and. Why would you do that to somebody like a little kid?
2: I, I got to tell you, um, I walk into a school and I get it every time. Mm. A kid will stand up and go, hey, I know you. You arrested my dad. No way. I'm like, oh, my God.
1: Yeah.
2: Every time. Really? Every time. And it's a different kid every time. Yeah. Like, and, and there, you know, I actually have one kid who's like, you arrested my dad. That was so cool. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's that's oh, great. Boy. Yeah, Yeah, my mom doesn't live with my dad anymore. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, see, then
1: you're part of a positive thing.
2: Probably, yeah. yeah, yeah, because
1: if he's that happy and he's doing that well, it's probably a, a good thing, right? Yeah. So. Well,
2: when he told me what his last name was, I, I was like, it's for the
1: better. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm like, <laughs> and you know what the thing is is one day he'll look back at that hopefully and he'll be like, yeah, the police saved my mom, you know, yeah, from this. So yeah, no, it's a good thing. So that yeah was a good question. Yeah, it was but, a really good question. All right, why don't I stop this and then we can goof off with uh, TikTok live I'm if okay you still with have that. time. All right, yeah, because it's uh, what's it, eight fifty one.
2: We're getting so old. I know. All I'm
1: thinking is, wow, it's getting close to bedtime. One well, thing and you, you have a long ride home. I have, like, 35-foot commute. I've seen you walk. <laughs> it might take us the same time. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> it's because I'm old and broken. <laughs> 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 all right. Well, uh, everybody, thanks. And once again, this is uh, we have Sean Welch. He's um, a canine sergeant out of uh, New Hampshire, mm-hmm. and he's also an Army vet. So um, he's on all social media. Just check him out. You're looking for canine, pharaoh, and Sean, right?
2: Absolutely. Underscore between Pharaoh. And
1: Sean. Yeah, so it looks like the minus sign just a lot lower, if you don't know what underscore is for the older people like me. Um, So thanks, everybody, and uh, thanks to our sponsors. And uh, sorry Chris and Aaron could not be here, but it turned all right anyway. All right, have a good one. Stay safe. messed up thing is there we go all right